three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Utley is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to Sports on Chicago. My name's John Zaglou. Great to have you here. Today's edition of the program, Darno Mooney and the Bears. We have a contract extension in the works. We'll explain in just a moment. Plus, Brand new you today with Brent Boone, the host of the Boone Podcast and a former MLB All-Star and Gold Glover. We talk with him extensively about his career, the Boone Podcast, MLB Baseball, and so much more. It's a great interview, and it comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports, Facebook, John Zaglou. Want to watch more of this show, head on over to sportstalkchicago.com. Want to start today with this. Justin Fields needs help. We all know this. We've seen the toils and the perils that he and the Bears have gone through so far. Too many drop passes, too many momentum-killing drives because of said drop passes, and no safety blanket for Fields. Look, Mitch Trubinsky had a safety blanket. Robinson, Nick Foles, and Andy Dalton the same. Robinson and Darnell Mooney to an extent. And Fields, for the most part, at least last year, had Darnell Mooney, but this year he's kind of nowhere to be found. In order to properly develop and evaluate Justin Fields, we need to see him with some sort of weaponry. Now, we can still tell whether or not he's on the right track. We've seen mistakes from Fields even last game. The Bears like 14 points on the board because Fields could not convert in the red zone. That's a fact. But at the end of the game, Darnell Mooney dropped a touchdown pass. The Bears were still in the red zone and just couldn't convert. It was a team thing, also a Justin Fields thing. Everyone was to blame for that loss, right? Everybody had a part to play in losing that game. It was a concerted effort. Everybody did their role to make sure the Bears lost. Justin Fields needs help. Justin Fields needs receivers. Justin Fields needs weapons. Besides Darnell Mooney, to an extent, you've got Dante Pettis, Samir Smith-Marset, Bayless Jones Jr., who I've said is a bust, Cole Komet, who may be on his way out too. I mean, there's so many issues. So many holes, so many unsure guys and unsure fits for this offense and for Justin Fields moving forward. It's very hard to evaluate a quarterback when you have this wide receiving core around him. That offensive line, too. So at least in the moment, we've seen some encouraging news. So, turns out the Bears and Darnell Mooney are in talks about a contract extension after the season. The report is this, officially... Well, the Bears, Darnell Mooney have significant interest in a contract extension. 
The Chicago Bears will up north of $100 million in salary cap space to work with for the 2023 season. And Poles is looking to bring back Darnell Mooney. The source is Matt Lombardo of Hebby.com. He said this, quote, Multiple league sources told Hebby that the Bears and Mooney have significant mutual interest in getting an extension done. However, the Bears are not permitted to actually sign Mooney to a new deal until the conclusion of his third season, which is this year. So it looks as if the Bears are starting right at home base, and they're probably going to extend Darnell Mooney. Now, on the surface, I think it's a pretty sensible move. Darnell Mooney's been good for the Bears. I mean, this year he's had kind of a down year, and if this continues, I would really reconsider paying him this much money. But if he continues to get hot and gets better and better week by week and becomes Justin Fields' primary target again, I'd say pay him for sure. The big question, though, which this is going to reignite the debate, and I don't care, I'll be the first one to reignite it, is Darnell Mooney a WR1? Now, we have this debate all throughout the offseason, and last week I think it culminated in us winning, us being. People are saying Darnell Mooney's not a WR1. He should have made that catch in the end zone near the end of the game. He didn't. Whether or not if it was a 50-50 ball, the fact is if you are, Number one wide receiver, if you want to be paid the big bucks, make the play. So there's going to be a lot of debate about this. There's going to be a lot of arguments in the Bears community about this. How much should he get paid? How big of an asset is he really to Justin Fields? Is he a safety blanket? Do the Bears have to go out and get another wide receiver just as good, if not better, than Darnell Mooney to reinforce the offense? Big questions here. I don't have an answer today, but here's what I do know. I like Darnell Mooney. I think he is solid. He is one of the best number two wide receivers in football. No question. But is he a number one? Is he worth number one money? Well, the market dictate that he gets paid number one money, even though he isn't a number one, a.k.a. Christian Kirk. Getting paid $20 million, even though he's always been a number two, number three his whole life. So is it worth the Bears paying Darnell Mooney a similar salary? Wide receiver class is going to be somewhat open next year. There are going to be a lot of guys out there the Bears could be looking at. But see, here's the thing. The Bears are desperate for help right now. They need somebody to be there for Justin Fields, somebody to be the safety blanket, somebody to offer up continuity offensively, to be a real weapon for him. The only true weapon on this team offensively, wide receiver-wise, is Darnell Mooney. That's a fact, and you can't deny it. There's nobody else who's a real weapon for Justin Fields. Nobody else who's a viable weapon. You could make the argument that Cole Komet maybe racks up yards or Bayless Jones Jr. is explosive or electric, whatever the hell that means, but they haven't proven it. Darnell Mooney last year proved it, and this year if he gets better, condition, if he gets better, he'll prove it again. Now, according to Spot Track, Mooney's current projected market value is $18.9 million per year which is in line with the likes of Terry McLaurin, DJ Moore, and Mike Williams. So the real question is, is Darnell Mooney a Mike Williams? Is Darnell Mooney a Terry McLaurin? Is Darnell Mooney a DJ Moore? He's not Terry McLaurin, but he is a DJ Moore, I would say. He is a Mike Williams. So $18.9 million per year is fair to an extent. Still seems like a lot of money for one guy. A guy who only has 1,000-yard season. And a guy who 
has never been a WR1. But if that's going to be the going rate for WR2 wide receivers, then so be it. I don't have a huge problem paying that sum. The real question is going to be, is Darnell Mooney going to go by his true value, according to projections, or an inflated value? I'm not going to be happy if the Bears are paying him $22, $23 million per year as a wide receiver. Even if Mooney gets Christian Kirk money, I think that's kind of a ripoff. Darnell Mooney is who he is. He's a number two wide receiver. Masquerading as a number one because the Bears have a lack of talent. That's okay. But don't pay him number one money just because he's the default number one wide receiver. There's a difference between earning being a WR1 and by default being a WR1. Darnell Mooney, by default, is a number one of the Bears. On any other team in the NFL, he'd be a number two. Any other team. The Bears need a bona fide number one wide receiver. So if Darnell Mooney's going to demand WR1 money, that's where there could be a problem with this whole story. I want the Bears to re-sign Mooney. I think he's a very valuable asset, and he's the only productive asset on this team. I mean, nobody else is doing what he's doing. He certainly outweighs everybody else the Bears have offensively. That's a fact. So that's not the issue. The issue is going to be pay and long-term pay and what does he see himself as. And it's important to start this conversation now. That way nobody's going to be shocked come the offseason when Mooney asks for an outrageous number. Or the Bears lowball him too, which could very well be possible. I'd love for you to comment tell me what you think. Is Darnell Mooney a WR1? Does he deserve to be paid WR1 money? My answer to both those questions is no. Darnell might think something different. You might think something different. But I'm here to tell you, statistically speaking, no, he's not. 1,000-yard season. He won't get there this year. I mean, at this rate, there's no way. He only has 17 catches. We're through six games. So that's not going to happen. So what is Darnell Mooney? Only making 51.5% of his catches. Lowest of his career right now. 241 yards. That's a low point right now compared to last year. Just, I caution everybody to be wary. This is not me hating on Darnell Mooney. This is not me saying the Bears shouldn't pay him or they should cut ties with him. Obviously, there's some sort of chemistry between him and Justin Fields. There is. And it would be stupid of the Bears to let him go or to play hardball with him when you know your quarterback wants him. And this could be a referendum on whether or not the Bears like Justin Fields, if Justin has any say in keeping his number one preferred target. That's another question we're going to be able to see as the year progresses and as the next offseason progresses. But in theory, that shows something. So do you extend Darnell Mooney for a high number? It's going to be a tough question. But the Bears and Mooney are in agreement, right? They have significant mutual interest, quote-unquote, in getting an extension done. That's great, and I'm happy. I would hope they agreed a number that everybody's okay with. That's all I can say. But I do think it's important for the Bears to have some continuity offensively, and to have somebody who works with Justin Fields and is his only weapon. Look, every other receiver, in my opinion, besides Mooney, to an extent, is expendable. Really. Bayless Jones is expendable. Even though he's a rookie, he is expendable. Dante Pettis, certainly. Mayor Smith-Marset, certainly. 
All these guys are expendable. They could be cut tomorrow. Darnell Mooney's the only one who's proven and who's shown any value over the past couple of seasons and even to an extent this year. He's the only one worth fighting over. And if you're the Bears, your strategy this offseason has to be weaponry for Justin Fields. There's no other strategy you need to be following because this crap-ass offense cannot be going out there next year looking the same. But Justin Fields is your quarterback. You cannot evaluate him. We've talked about this. You can't evaluate Justin Fields with this mess around him. You can only evaluate him based on his mistakes. Leaving 14 points on the board, that's a mistake on him. But having balls being tipped or dropped or tipped and then intercepted or not being caught, that's a receiver issue for the most part. That's a receiver issue. It's a chemistry issue. It's a lack of talent issue. Frankly, it's a lack of talent. The Bears have a lack of talent offensively. Needs to change. And I would hope that Ryan Paul spends money on the wide receiver position, not just with Mooney, but with other players who could be hitting the market. That said, you love to have continuity, right? Want to have guys who Fields is comfortable with, who know the system, who know Fields personally. And like him. Darnell Mooney and Justin Fields have a connection. It's been proven. Everybody knows about it. So don't break it up. But my word of wisdom to the Bears and to Mooney and to everybody watching. Don't be greedy on both sides. The Bears better not lowball him. And Darnell Mooney better not highball them. Meet in the middle at a spot where everybody agrees. Darnell Mooney is not a number one wide receiver. Don't let anybody tell you that. He's a number two. So he should be paid number two money, which according to Spot Track, they're pretty accurate. It's around $19 million per year. And even that to me is inflated, but I mean, with Christian Kirk getting 20, that kind of reset the market a bit. It's a lot of money. So Darnell Mooney better prove it too. And I will say this again if Darnell Mooney continues on the trend he's on right now, if he continues to progress, if he's not catching the football and he's not being targeted and he's not going to get 1,000 yards, we may have to have a serious discussion about whether or not the Bears should keep him. That's a fact. So this isn't set in stone. We could see a new report at the end of the year saying something completely different. If Mooney cannot perform, he has to stay at his rank from last year. And if he does, the Bears will pay him fairly for what he's worth and what he truly is. Yes, Darnell Mooney is a number two wide receiver. He might be a number one by default, but that doesn't mean he should be paid number one money. He's a number one by default, not a number one by talent or by earning it. And when your competition is Dante Pettis and Bayless Jones and Amir Smith-Barset, yes, you're a default number one. You don't have to beat them out to be a number one. You just are the number one. But on any other team, you'd be a number two. So just keep all that in mind. Don't want to overthink it per se, but we need to make sure we know what he's worth, and what the truth should be come negotiation time. We can't feed into a false narrative. We can't say Mooney's in the right for asking for $25 million, for example. Critique with context. Evaluate based on truth, not feelings. In Darnell Mooney's case, he'd be deserving of $19 million per year. He'd be considered a WR2. And he would help out the Bears and Justin Fields long-term. But if you hear anything contrary to that, it's worth taking a second look. 
More to come here on Sports Talk Chicago. My interview with Brett Boone comes up next, so stay tuned. Sports Talk Chicago. We are back and ready for today's special guest. He's a three-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glover, and the host of the Boone Podcast. Please welcome Brett Boone to the program. Brett, it's great to have you on. How are you? Johnny, thank you. Yeah, good to be on. How do you feel about your Mariners getting eliminated? Ooh, heartbreak. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what they 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 ran into now that now that the Dodgers are out of the tournament, uh, they ran into a pretty darn good team. That Houston Astros still at this point in the postseason still got to be the overwhelming favorite favorite, just top to bottom. They're so deep. Uh, Mariners pitched about as good as they could pitch. The, the big key was that first game, that game one, they had Verlander on the ropes. They were up seven, one and ended up giving that back. I think the whole temperature of the, of that series changed right there. Cause it was kind of a David and Goliath thing. I think the Mariners this year were a little better than people expected. It was the, it was that nice sweetheart, uh, kind of headline oh the Mariners first time back in the playoffs in 21 years and I was telling people and I was talking to managers down the stretch uh, they were taking notice they said this is more than just the Mariners getting back in the postseason these guys are really good especially that pitching staff especially that bullpen so I knew that that it wasn't going to be easy for Houston Houston was the better team but if the Mariners came and showed up uh, I was a little bit optimistic and man that game won you know, it went from if they beat their big boy Verlander in game one, uh, they got a chance to win this series. And just within about a half hour, they ended up losing that game late. It went from good chance to win this series as pretty good chance you're going to lose the series. So great run for them. I think they put something together that's tangible for the future. And, uh, you know, it, it was a little disappointing how it ended, but uh, they're in the right. I think they're going in the right, dire right direction. And it's been a long time. How do they compare to 2001, if at all, this team? <sighs> Much different. You know, we were, uh, our depth was a lot different. Uh, our offense was, was much superior to the, to the modern day Mariners offense. Um, but from a starting rotation standpoint, without a doubt, this team can, can definitely hang with that 2001. Uh, we were known then, and it, and it wasn't, it was a time, John, where, uh, bullpens weren't at a premium like they are in 2022. It was 2001, and we were one of the rare bullpens. We had Arthur Rhodes. We had Jeff Nelson setting up Sasaki. You had Norm Charlton as that lefty specialist guy. And then we had a plethora of guys in the middle that just got us to the sixth, seventh inning. We were one of the few teams that had that. Uh, nowadays, as you know, the power bullpens is how they, they put a lot of the uh, – a lot of the money's towards the 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 bullpen and building that power bullpen. So apples to oranges, kind of how how teams are are formulated nowadays. But I think, like I said, offensive defensive side of the ball, I give the the edge to that 2001 Mariners team. But pitching, they could hang with us for sure. How did it feel for you to see that drought end for Seattle? To see them make the playoff for the first time since you were there. Well, you know, it after a while because uh, of course I, I have a special. Uh, space for them just because of my years there. And, and I kind of, I'm a Mariner. When I look back at my career, I, I had some great times in Cincinnati. I got to go to a world series with the Atlanta Braves had a stop in San Diego, but Seattle's my city. And that's how people kind of know me, my Seattle years. Uh, so I'm always keeping an eye out on them and man, it's been rough for 15, 
20 years having people go, hey, Booney, how's your Mariners doing? You know, because I remember <laughs> how great that city was in the early 2000s when we were playing really well. And man, how those fans come out. And I always tell people, I said, if you win, this city will support you. And it's crazy. I lived it. And it's and it's awesome. I think they saw it. They got a little glimpse of that this season in the postseason. But in the last 15, 20 years, you'd have to go over and watch the Seahawks play to, to see uh, how that fan base really is. And uh, it was it was cool getting to see him do it a year ago, uh, 2021. They won 90 games. I looked at that team and I said, that team's not that good. I looked at the team this year, much better team than they were a year ago. But early on in the season, they were kind of playing. Uh, they weren't living up to the expectations. All of a sudden they got it going from June to the end of the year. They're arguably the best team in the American league. Um, but yeah, definitely in the right direction. They got a good core. This, this uh, Rodriguez kid, uh, really talented. He's one of those oh, yeah. can't miss guys. You know, I, I look at his swing cause I'm pretty, I'm pretty critical of young players coming to the big leagues. I, I like to see, a big sample size. But when I watched him, when I watched Julio uh, from the first week of the season till let's say the all-star break, the strides he made, how quick he grew up to become a big leaguer. And I just see superstar written all over him. one of those swings that doesn't go away. It's not one year, good next year, bad. It's kind of like a Vladdy Guerrero junior swing to me, even though people want to say he had a down year this year. Yeah. Compared to 2021, but down years are 32 and 107 RBIs. I see who, Julio Rodriguez is that type of player. Do you think this is sustainable for the Mariners? Should we expect another playoff appearance next year and even deeper runs in the postseason moving forward? I think without a doubt. They they need to keep that bullpen intact. Some guys really came to the forefront. Munoz especially is really kind of came into his own this year. Swanson, you got at the end of that. Uh, Diego Castillo, I think, was a – Brought some stability to a bullpen, brought some experience. He'd been over there with Tampa Bay. He knew what it was like to be in the postseason. I think he was good for that team. I think a, an unsung hero on the offensive side, because I think he hit 197 or 200, was Santana. He brought a real veteran presence there. You got Julio. We're going to see what's going to go on with Hanniger. Suarez uh, was a great addition. He had some big home runs for that team. Uh, it's going to be interesting how the young kid, Jared Kellenek, really, is it time for It's kind of at that point in his career especially in Seattle, it's time to put up or move on. Uh, so I'm going to see how he responds next year. I think they could add a couple pieces. It'll be interesting in the offseason to see what they do. But keeping Julio, he's definitely the face of that franchise, definitely the middle of that offense. Just keep some pieces around him. Winker, I expect to have a big comeback year. He had a real down year coming over from the Reds after hitting 300. Uh, but if the, they've got some money, and I think if they go out and spend wisely this offseason, off season, I think I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with for in the near future. Castillo uh, at the top of that rotation, they got him signed. Man, he's a modern day Pedro Martinez to me when he's on. I mean, really tough. Robbie Ray at the end, he he kind of fell off. Didn't have the year they were expecting, but he's a solid guy to put in that middle of the ro- middle of that rotation. And I think you look at the young kid Kirby, really good. Nobody really knows who he is. He's tough. Gilbert really kind of the right-handed version of a modern day Randy Johnson. He has that swagger about him. He's grown up really quick. I see a, nothing but positive things for this Mariner, uh, this Mariner franchise in the near future. Brent Boone here on sports talk, Chicago, Brent, what's your take on the new playoff format this year? I like it. Um, I'm a purist. I think, you know, that John, um, I like keeping things 
more the same than changing things. You know, I look at because because of history, you know, I like to say, well, anybody can, you know, they expanded the all-star rosters to 30, 30 guys. Well, now anybody can say they're an all-star. Uh, they expanded it to 12 teams getting in the postseason. Now it's easy to get to the postseason. You can put that on your resume. I don't like that. But if I take a step back now as a 53-year-old fan, fan of baseball growing the game, I think it's the best thing for baseball to have 12 teams. It keeps four to six cities in the hunt down the stretch. I think that's good for baseball. And, and at this point in my life, and, and as like I said, as a fan, I want to grow the game. I want baseball to be the number one sport out there. And I think this does nothing but positive for that. Uh, I like how they got rid of the, the one game playoff. I think that's unfair to play 162 games and it comes down to one day you had a bad day and now you go home. I, I don't think that was fair. At least getting it to a best out of three, it's still not the ideal, but I understand, you know, there's a certain amount of games that you can only fit in there. I think that's good. So far, so good. If you don't have the rain delays like the Yankees have had and had to <laughs> had to have a makeshift postseason postseason schedule. Um, I think it went relatively smooth. I kind of like it. Now you're getting into the real deal. Now you got the final four teams, seven game series. Usually you're going to get the best teams when they come out, come out of these best of seven series. So uh, I, I think so far so good. We've had some exciting finishes. You got teams like the Phillies and the Padres who no ex- nobody expected to be here right now, the wild card teams. And uh, they're adding a little life to the, to the format. We'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting. These next two series. How do you explain all these 100-win teams losing, though? A lot, the big criticism has been all these great teams are losing because of the new format. But what do you say to that? It was put to me pretty well the other day. Uh, and, and I'd love to take credit for it, but I had a, an ex-angel on the podcast. His name was uh, Tim Salmon. And we were going over the 2002 because uh, they they chased us down in, in the American League West that year and beat my Mariners and and got that wild card bid, ended up winning the whole thing. And I said, Timmy, what do you, what do you think? And he, and he made a good point. He said, Brett, I was a wild card team in 2002. We won the World Series. And he said, the only thing I can chalk it up to is we were playing playoff baseball for the entire month of September. We were clawing fighting just to get the bid to get into the postseason. And he said, it seemed like when we got there, hey, we've been playing in this postseason format the whole time. And now you guys have been sitting on the sidelines waiting for us. You've got to get to our adrenaline level right now. And he said, they just rolled with it. They kept going and ended up winning the World Series. It was a good point because when you're in that atmosphere, there is a difference between postseason baseball and regular season. Regular season gets a little monotonous. You're kind of punching the card. You go to the ballpark every day. But if you're in that playoff atmosphere, fighting for that last spot down the stretch in September, they are like playoff games. That adrenaline is like playoff atmosphere. So that could be a slight advantage. And, and I can see now how the Phillies and the Padres, who are very formidable teams, got by in our in our bidding to go to the World Series, one of those two teams. So uh, that's my explanation for it. I think it can go either way, but uh, I thought Timmy made a really good point saying that wild card and how it can be a benefit. Have you yourself ever been in that sort of situation where you're fighting for a last spot? Have you felt that sort of adrenaline rush that Sam had talked about? I'll tell you, the three postseasons I got to go to, uh, my first was in 1995 with the Cincinnati Reds. We went wire to wire, we won the division. So I, we were never fighting for it. Fast forward to 1999, I was on a great Braves team. We kind of ran that division. 
and, and we won it. We ended up going the World Series, losing to the Yankees. And then obviously the 2001 Mariners, we won 116. We had the we basically had the division wrapped up at the All-Star break. So to answer your question, short, short answer is no, I've never thought that that last minute to get in. Yeah, I've been in that situation. But it never came to fruition. We never made it. 2002 is a great example. 2003, it came down to that last week or two, but we came up short. So, yes, I've been in those situations, but never prevailed from those situations with the team I've been on. (laughs) Do you think maybe in that 2001 season, you could relate to Sam and what he said about, you know, winning 116 games, having the division wrapped up by July? Could that have hurt you guys facing maybe a different team down the stretch who was trying to rally and then get into the playoffs? Without a doubt. I think that's what separates baseball from the other teams is it's so unique in that aspect. No logic or any what I would consider baseball man could sit down on paper and say the Dodgers don't make it past their first round. There's no logic to it, but that's what makes baseball baseball and so special. Uh, That 116 win team. The thing, and and believe me, uh, my teammates and myself, when we get together, we ponder this every time. How did we not finish the deal? And what comes up the most, there was a couple things, you know, that was the 9-11 year, uh, but everybody else went through 9-11. That's not an excuse. Uh, The second half, every question after every game was, are you going to break the record? Are you going to break the record? I don't know. I'll I'll talk to you in two months. Uh, But we had that type of drumbeat on a daily basis. Usually when throughout the course of the season, you have your beat writers, you had your six or seven guys that follow your team around all the time. Then you get to the postseason, you have more of a national audience uh, when it comes to press in the clubhouse. Well, we had that national audience for the whole second half of 2001. I think when we finished, we won that 116th game. It was almost like everybody taking a big breath and go, whew, finally it's over. Well, wait a minute. No, it's not over. We still have the postseason to play. The one thing I look at that 2001 team, if there's anything I could take back uh, and redo it, I wouldn't take the postseason for granted like we did. We won so many games that year. We won so many series that year. That And, and I don't mean to come from an arrogant breath because it wasn't from arrogance. It was a confidence. And we had won so many series, beaten so many teams that we went in the postseason. We had Cleveland, who was a good team. We knew all we have to do is go to Cleveland and win these games, and then we'll go to the next round. And we just have to play the games, but we will win that series. We'll go to the World Series. We have to play the World Series, but we've already won it, and we'll get our trophy, and we'll go home. And like I said, it wasn't from arrogance. It was just we had won so many times, and we didn't go into a, a series like, oh, we got to win the series. No, we knew we were going to win the series, and we did more times than not. Uh, went to Cleveland, didn't play that well, ended up squeaking out of there, I think, three to two. Uh, went to New York. We had handled the Yankees very well that year and went in kind of expecting to win. And all of a sudden, I still remember that bus ride after after game five, I believe. Clemens pitched the game of his life. Uh, and we we're sitting on the bus and, and I was looking around at my teammates and I had that same look that I probably had on my face like that didn't just happen, did it? Yes, it did. No, this was a magic carpet ride. This, this was a spe- one of those special seasons. We're supposed to keep winning. We're supposed to win the World Series. So never take anything for granted. Uh, I, that's why each and every season when, when the final team is standing there hoisting the trophy, I just hope really appreciate this and, and, and really acknowledge 
how hard it is to let alone get to a World Series, win a World Series. There's been so many great players that I've played with through the years that never even got to go to a World Series, let alone win one. They're really special and they're really hard to do. Do you think that sort of mindset maybe hit the Dodgers or the Braves or these other teams that won so much this year but then couldn't come through in the end? Well, I, I look at the Dodgers and and you know, that question was asked to me a lot. They're a lot like your 116 team. I said, the only difference was 116 kind of of came out of nowhere. Uh, 2000 was a good team. I wasn't there. I was in San Diego, but 2001 was kind of an anomaly. I mean, nobody expected that team. We expected to be good, but, but well, nobody's expected to win 116, but to be that good. The difference between us and the Dodgers is they've been kind of the class of baseball for the last five or six years with a similar nucleus that's been there. The, you know, the Turners have been there the last couple of years. Mookie Betts came over from Boston. Uh, Kershaw's been there. You know, the, they had a good core that's been winning the division for five, six years in a row. So sitting on 111 wins, uh, they've got one World Series trophy. So they had the experience and kind of knew how to handle the position they were in a little bit better than that 2,116 win team. We had just got there. We did it once. They've done it five or six times. So that's why I was, uh, I was a little more surprised that they, didn't, uh, that they didn't advance beyond where they did. Do you think there needs to be major change there? I mean, one World Series in six years, knowing their track record of success does not sound good. No, and, and especially with that talent level they have on both sides of the ball, from the pitching to the defense to that deep, deep offensive team. I don't know. You know, I don't know what you do. It, it, you can kind of compare it to the, the Braves of the 90s. You know, I look at Maddox, Smoltz, Glavitt. How did they only win one? Um, you, you, look like the, you look at the Cleveland Indians of the 90s in the American League. They didn't even win one. And they were the class of that. They were kind of doing what the Braves were doing in the National League, just winning the division every single year and coming up short every single year. It, it just goes to show you, once again, those, those teams like, uh, uh, like the San Francisco Giants that recently have won three, they're anomalies. The, the Yankees that won four and five rings, Jeter won five rings. Anomaly. These things just don't happen, no matter how good you are. Uh, so is there a change to be made? I don't know. I mean, what are you going to do? You know, I look at managers <laughs> and yeah, ma- managers are hired to be fired without a doubt. Everybody that gets hired as a manager, no matter how great you are and how much people love you one day, you will get fired. Uh, not always because you did a bad job is because like you said, there needs to be a change. They can't fire the player. So sometimes the manager and unfairly gets fired. Yeah. There has to be a change. I think Roberts has done a really nice job over there. Who knows what his future is, but you're right. When you have that level of talent year after year after year, and you're not winning World Series trophies when the franchise and the city expects it, the heat starts to get pretty hot at the top. Who do you have winning each championship series right now? Woo. Uh All right, we got to be honest, don't we, Johnny? Uh, <laughs> obviously, I, I have a dog in the fight here. You have a couple and of dogs in the fight, San Diego and your brother. I do. San Diego is, is where I where I make my home, and um, I played for them one year. So, and, and I have some buddies. Trevor Hoffman is a good friend of mine. He's he's in the, uh, works in the front office for them. Uh, so I'd be happy for him to win. 
Uh, I look at the Phillies, you know, in my history, growing up in Philadelphia, you know, uh, dad winning a World Series with the Phillies. I, I'm a little I've got some friends that are in the front office with the Phillies. I'm kind of rooting for them. Uh, Aaron takes the precedent. Obviously, my brother, I, he, he's the most important out of the three to for uh, for me as far as being a fan and pulling for. But Brett, the analyst, and when I need to break this down uh, with the Dodgers being out of this postseason, it's very clear to me that the Houston Astros are by far the class of the four teams remaining. They're the best teams top to bottom. They get the best pitching, best bullpen, best defense, and a real smart, formidable, high-level thinking offense that not too many teams have. This team is very unique. And, and maybe the numbers don't just jump out at you offensively, but they're really smart and they talk and they're really prepared and they have a pro an approach. It's kind of an elite level of hitting that I watch them very closely. They're really good. Uh, so if, if, if you're putting me, if you're backing me in a corner and I've got to be the analyst, I got to say Houston moves on looking at the other side. Uh, I'm looking at Wheeler and Nola. I don't think that, I think this Phillies team is really good. I think the ballpark has something to do with their offensive numbers being a little elevated. Uh, they got some really good players. You got the reigning MVP and Bryce Harper. He's having a big postseason. Schwarber hits the big home run. You got to have him. Uh, but the key to that Philly team, I look is Wheeler and Nola. I mean, they, they're a one-two punch right now. They throw like Garrett Cole. And if those guys are on, uh, they can dominate a series. Kind of a shilling Randy Johnson from 2001 type, type dominant. So if you have those guys going four times in a seven-game series, that can be really tough. So the Phillies, they're the kind of the wild card for me. Who knows what's going to happen there? They're, they're up one nothing. So, of course, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hedge my bet and say I'm picking Philly right now. I see Phillies in Houston. Um, uh, but the brother side of me is pulling for the Yankees. Do you have any advice for your brother? Do as much as you can do, get the troops ready. You know, that's what I always talk to him about. Uh, as a manager, once that game starts, there's nothing you can do. You can put your players in the best position you see fit to be as successful as you can. And once that game starts, players play and, and, and yeah, you're going to make the, Oh, you know, bring in the lefty in this situation, bring in the righty in this position. Those are X's and O's. Computer can run the game these days, but it's all about preparing your troops, getting them in the best frame of mind to be as successful as possible. And, and I think Aaron's really good at that. He's been grinding it out for a lot of times. He wears it a lot on his sleeve. Uh, him and myself are different in that capacity. I, I, I tend to not let you know what I'm thinking as much, but he's very emotional. He's, you know, he's one of those guys gets to the ballpark at 12 o'clock and he's grinding. Sometimes I tell him, I said, Aaron, Show up to the yard at five o'clock one time and see how your team, how, how they react. They're big boys. They don't need to have you with them. You know, this team is very capable, but I look, I look at arrested Houston and tonight, for example, it's Verlander against Tyon, obviously who has the advantage there, you know, so it, it's going to be an uphill battle, not saying it can't happen without a doubt. It could happen. You know, and it could be one of those cases where Yankees been clawing and fighting. Cleveland took them to five, two rainouts and and they got to fly last night and come in. And sometimes that's a good thing. Just don't think, just go out there and strap it on and you end up getting a win when you don't expect to. So that could very well happen. They're very capable. I look at the Yankees bullpen in it and, and it, you started off this season. Yankees were, had the premier bullpen in all of baseball. Since then, a lot of things have changed. You don't have a Chapman. He's at home in Miami. Uh, Marinucci has been a big <laughs> part. He's gone. Efros, that midseason acquisition, he's on the he's on the IL. Uh, I'm looking at some other guys. Benintendi, 
He's on the IL, big part of that team. So, so you're missing a lot of part uh, of parts that they had earlier. Montas has been put back on the roster for the second round. Uh, he's going to be a swing guy. He could start. He could be in the bullpen. But I look at that bullpen. Holmes is not the Holmes of the first half. First half, he was unhittable. He's been he's shown that he's human in the second half. Luizaga hasn't had the year that he had a year ago. The guy that's really come to the forefront and it's kind of been the savior for me is the lefty out of the bullpen, Peralta. He just pitched in all five games, did a hell of a job. You know, he's going to throw strikes. You know, he's got good stuff, but he hasn't been in that in that Superman role very much yet. See how he handles it. They're going to need him big time. The key to them is going to be Cole at the top of the rotation. Cortez in that number two Cortez. I love this guy. Never gives it up ever. I've been saying it. I said, you know, he has a bad game and he gives up two, but he never gives up the farm. You know, he always gives his team a chance to win. And on the offensive side, the key for me is Giancarlo Stanton judge is going to do what he does. You don't have LeMahieu. He's out with an injury. Judge is going to do what he does. Rizzo's going to hit that home run here and there, but I'll tell you what, if Giancarlo Stanton steps up and, and, acts like the player that he can be. That's the key on the offensive side. We'll see what happens. What to come with Brent Boone in just a moment. Stay tuned. This is Sports Talk Chicago. Brett Boone still here on Sports Talk Chicago. Brett, a few more questions before we finish up. First off, the Boone Podcast. How's it been going? It's been good. It's been good. I think we're on episode 227 now or something. Uh, We haven't missed one since since we started, Johnny. You were there watching in the very beginning when we had about 27 or 28 downloads. (laughs) And uh, 227 episodes. It's been a lot of fun. And and just going all over the map, obviously, it's baseball heavy. Uh, We got a lot of baseball players, X and current. Um, But we've, you know, we delve into, to uh, you know, I just had Lee Steinberg on, the super agent from Jerry Maguire. Really interesting talking that side of the ledger, talking the art of negotiations. And, and he really made me feel kind of kind of not worthy when he was going deep into the negotiations and what they're really like. Uh, really interesting stuff. We had uh, Robert Wool on, obviously, Arliss and, and famous from from Bull Durham and the movie Cobb. Interesting. His take. What is Hollywood's take on on baseball in the postseason? And who are the real fans out there in Hollywood? Not the guy that just puts his hat on when the postseason comes and pretends he's a fan because the cameras there. I'm talking about the really guys behind the scene that love baseball. So stuff like that. It's been really interesting. Uh, We got some great guests coming up, but uh, every Tuesday and Friday it comes out. And and, uh, I've been having a lot of fun with it. And Brett, before we finish up today, last question. What's your best playoff memory? Best play. Well, I had a lot of great uh, playoff memories f- followed by absolute disappointment. <laughs> um, I remember game four in the Bronx, uh, 2001. It's the seventh inning. It's a 0-0 game. I forget who was on the mound, but the guy that the setup man at that time to Mariano Rivera, I knew I had never got a hit off. And I came into the dugout in a zero zero game. And I looked at all my teammates. I said that somebody's got to step up and do something this inning. And I knew I was coming up second and I had never got a hit off this guy. I forget who it is. I don't know. It'll come to my mind. I hit the second pitch out to left to make it a one, nothing game. I came in like I had a crystal ball and everybody looked at me like, wow. 
he just said that and he did it. I thought we're going to go on and win. We're going to rally back and win this series. Well, <laughs> the ghosts of, of Yankee Stadium showed up and that never came to fruition. We ended up losing that game. So I've had a lot of really good memories, uh, but always fell short of that world uh, winning that World Series. So uh, it, it was an honor being there. It was a lot of fun. I remember my first day, uh, my first World Series and and lining up and, and doing my my sprints before the game at Yankee Stadium. I had played 10 or 20 games at Yankee Stadium. So it was no big deal. It wasn't like a new experience, but it was something different playing a World Series there. It's like something came over me and I thought, wow, I'm somewhere special right now. A lot of history is in this building. And I kind of had to gather myself, run into the dugout, kind of get a brown bag, breathe into it before the first pitch. It was that it was that daunting. But uh, I ended up having a really good World Series once I got past that first bat at bat and got those butterflies out. But uh, I've had so many great memories. It's just disappointing uh, when you've never been able to win the whole thing. So uh, I'm still chasing it. Is that your biggest regret in your career, never winning a World Series? I don't I, I don't know that it's a regret because I, I have no control over that. Sure. You know, I, I can only do what I can do. This is this is different than other sports. It's different than a golfing event. Uh, it's a team game. You win and you lose as a team. You know, you can only do the best you can. So I wouldn't say regret uh, I have is is not winning a World Series. Of course, I wish I would have won one. But if, if I went back, it's not like I could do anything different to make us win that world series i can only do what i can do uh i think i would if i could go back uh i'd have a little better insight on how to approach a postseason series and and to share that with my teammates uh but other than that i really don't have any regrets i, I did a lot of things that that i'm um very proud of i've done some things that man you know i would have done a little bit differently if 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 i if i had the the, the wisdom that i have at 53 years old but but that's life. And we all have those, you know, if we all, you're a, you're a very young man. One day you're going to go, man, when I was 20, I wish I would have done this. You know, we, that's called life. And, and we just keep moving on. And we, the thing is learn from things. And uh, I don't have too many regrets. I, I was fortunate enough to play this game for a living uh, for a long time and, and had a lot of great times and, and uh, you know, still now in the game, a, a little bit different capacity, but I, I still love this game. Well, Brent, thank you so much for joining me. Always appreciate your insights. Uh, best wishes with the Boone Podcast and looking forward to catching up again very soon. You got it, Johnny. Thank you. Brent Talk there with Brent Boone. That'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Really appreciate you tuning in. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports, Facebook, John Zaglou. You can watch more of this show. Head on over to SportstalkChicago.com. So long, everyone. No! No! We are the turtles!